And at what point does, you know, importing every ingredient you use to produce a beautiful German lager become ridiculous in Australia? That said, I'm still going to buy it a heap of it. <laughs> Welcome to Bruce News Week, recorded on 8 September 2022. I'm Sabrina Kunz, and I am joined this week by founder of Spotty Dog Brewers and host of Step Brewers podcast, Clint Donahoe. Morning, Clint. Morning, how are you? Good, thanks. thanks for having me back. Yeah, and we're absent our fearless leader, who is um, Matt, is over in Europe at the moment. He's actually taking an actual whole week off um, for the first time, as you know, as a small business. Um, the head to honcho rarely gets any actual time off, so he's having an actual whole week's vacation this week. I love that uh, he had me on last week, lulled himself into a false sense of security. Now the listeners have probably listened to Step Bros podcast and thought, how did they let him on? And now they've let me on again without him here. Well, I want you to know to that I'm lulled into a false sense of security because <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit of pressure to do the mat role. Um, and so I was actually very pleased that you could help me with all of the <laughs> the, the podcasting side of it. So um, it's been a big week of news since we caught up last week and there's a lot to get through. So we might crack into the headlines. IBA launches Brewer Immigration Drive. The Independent Brewers Association told its members last week that it was making efforts to have brewers listed on the skilled migration occupation list to combat skilled shortages in the industry. The notice came on the back of the federal government increasing the skilled migrant cap to 195,000 last week, highlighting an opportunity to bring in more talent from abroad. The complete article actually raised a whole, um, whole slew of topics, didn't it, Clint? Yeah, it's interesting. The I mean, this is going to be a problem for every industry in Australia with, a, I guess, a, a labour shortage. Um, and, yeah, it would be great. I, I think the IBA do great work for us small brewers. Um, and I know having just just hired um, a head brewer, how difficult it is, you know, even six months ago when we did it, um, let alone now where it just seems that there's so many people for every job. Yeah, it, um, so at Brews News, um, we obviously post a lot of job advertisements and so I pay pretty close attention and have done some sort of stats on um, how many brewers at, at all levels we're hiring. Um, but it's equally true, you know, for breweries that there's a, there's a challenge on the hospitality side. So increasingly mm-hmm. we're seeing because breweries are moving to be venues, they can't hire hospitality staff or chefs in the background. So I think, you know, the skill shortage is going to be everywhere. But certainly, you know, the comments um, that we saw, the discussion that we saw when this article was posted was really around, well, what about salary increases? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think um, just before we hit the salaries, there's a massive, I've noticed it across probably the last two years, there's a massive desire for skilled brewery workers Mm -hmm. and experienced brewery workers and it seems like all that's available is people wanting to join the industry. So, I mean, it's good to see programs starting up, um, like Hendo doing work up in Queensland and I think um, a few of the TAFE courses on mainland Australia, um, you know, being booked out constantly and I think Tasmania is about to have its first one. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems like there's this huge desire for skilled brewers because of this explosion in small craft breweries but there's just not enough of them out there. I can speak to my experience in New Zealand, but we started this many years ago trying to start the conversation with government around there just 
isn't sufficient um, skill brewing. And there's been more courses, to your point, added through universities and and TAFEs. But as um, Kylie from the IBA notes, you know, that's a long-term game. You've got to build that base at home. And we can't build it quickly enough, um, you, you know, even over the past few years where we've seen it, that five-year-plus skilled brewer level has just been, you know, there has been not been enough at that level for a very long time and we're just not building enough. And, yeah. you know, as as also noted in this article, you know, this, this question of poaching staff is starting to come up, you know. Mm, absolutely. Um, and so... Listening to the periods of conversation last week with Little Bang, you know, um, they really got into the conversation around good employment practices um, and the work that Lion is doing around all the sorts of perks and benefits that you can offer. But often as a small business, you know, with the margins in beer, you know, there's a call for increased wages and a call for increased, uh, I guess, total compensation. And yet it's a job that you have to be physically present. You don't get to work from home. Um, you know, yeah. you work according to the brew schedule and, and in fairness, you're often keeping, an, if you're a head brewer of a small brewery, keeping an eye on it whether you're at work or not at work. So you're working long hours um, and there isn't, you know, a whole lot that you can offer as a small business and yet if you don't, attraction and retention is going to be even harder. I think in this sort of great resignation space that we all have been talking about and you know, I have a job in the in the corporate world as well as these other things I do. Um, retention is is the biggest word going around right now. Yeah. Um, there was some data that came out recently um, on the job market, and everyone's saying why aren't wages growing? The advertised um, job market wages are growing there. Mm. So jobs that are being advertised are being advertised for more than they previously were. Yeah. So if you're if you're in a position in an organisation, yes, perhaps your salary isn't going up as fast because you're incumbent, and that's a and that's a struggle. But businesses need to start looking at um, looking at those people and thinking, am I better off, um, you know, keeping this person and paying them what they're worth, which I think is very important, um, or do I want to go out to market in a market where I think I incorrectly said that there was heaps of people for jobs, there's no one for jobs. Yeah. So yeah. I think across all industries that. You know the reason people are, you know, asking to be paid better is because there's there's real cost of living um, increases, there's interest rate increases that aren't going to stop for a little while, um, and if you can get paid and have the promise of a better work life balance or working arrangement or just something fresh, um, then people will start looking elsewhere. Yeah, um, and it's really interesting. I was speaking to a. Um sort of salary wage consultant recently in terms of sort of doing some external benchmarking. And we were talking about, you know, what are the non-dollar, non-comp, you know, non-salaried benefits that are currently being offered? And there's actually a lot that you can offer to for the roles that are work from home roles because, you know, reducing, um, you know, reducing travel time, paying for mobile phones, um, looking at office equipment. There's actually a lot you can do for those roles. But for the roles that are, need to be present, other than providing additional leave, there isn't, you, you know, and professional development opportunities, which I think are going to increase and are also really hard in a small business. It actually comes, it really does come down to the, the dollar level. And the last thing is I think that piece that has the craft brewing industry is really traded on for so long, but like the love and passion of the place that you work. 
you know, the team, that that's what you've really got, sort of that that absolute committed love and buy-in to the team. Yeah, and I think maybe that passion and commitment in the industry is has, I don't want to say been used by owners over time, but it is something that we just take for granted. Um, and I think it's coming to, this has really happened in HOSPO in the last 12 months. If you try to hire a cellar door manager or any HOSPO staff, it is not the same as it used to be. And you hear people complaining about that. And it's like, hold on, in an industry where people are chronically underpaid and overworked, you're complaining that now they want a fair go after two years of, of COVID work. Um, I think the a, a bigger topic in that sort of salary space that could take up a whole episode and probably should for you guys one day is at what point does Australia start looking seriously at brewers owning equity and in the places they work. It's really interesting is that I was just thinking, so there are breweries, I think Wayward announced, you know, share, employee share schemes, um, but it really is one of those things that providing the opportunity to benefit in the business um, and and to actually, as you say, get some equity for the sweat Um it yeah, is really absolutely. sort of uh, is, is one of the tools that then makes somebody feel really connected to the brand that they're working in and is one of the things, one of the tools available that clearly businesses in Australia are looking at and, and New Zealand. Yeah, and need to understand. I think I was in America in 2016 at Deschutes Brewing in, in Bend, Oregon, um, and, you know, they produce I think around 38 million litres a year from that facility. So, you know, very impressive brew house, whole cone hops, like industry people and nerds alike would love that place. And we had a tour, um, my wife and I, who's not really into beer at all, even though she owns a brewing company um, and does the social media. But we were uh, having this tour and at the end, she just looked at me and she's just like, have you noticed the culture here? It's amazing. She's like, how, how can we have that when we open? Like, it's infectious. She's like the girl who showed us around um, you know, the way she spoke about the brewery and her passion. And I was like, did you hear that she owns part of the brewery? Like a 38 million litre a year. And because she's been an employee for, I think it was four years or five years, she had the right to become an owner. Yep. And that's how they spoke about the place. Like it was their brewery and this is how we'd, it was beautiful to watch. And that was really um, the New Belgium model, right? That that was how yeah. sort of New Belgium built that until, of course, um, they, you know, the owners benefited the employee owners benefited from the sale. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think this topic is going to stay front and centre for the industry for several years to come. Definitely, it's going to be huge. So on to the next one, um, Colonial rebrands as CB Co. Um, CB Co, formerly Colonial Brewing Co, is rebranding after several years of growth and investment. The brewery had previously faced complaints and a social media backlash in 2020 over the meaning of its business name, but was praised for its crisis response at the time. CBCO said on Tuesday that it had made the change nearly two years after the initial furor to better reflect its values. Mm. Certainly a lot of online discussion about this one. Yeah, I just uh, I checked your article before and didn't realise it was uh, or the Crafty Pine article, maybe someone's article, and there's a lot of comments which most don't need to be read. No. It's interesting they didn't really they didn't really address why they were doing it, but I guess I guess they're trying to keep a lid on it in that sense, like not reopen the debate, just say, yeah, we got it wrong, we're changing. Yeah, and look, I I mean, I found it surprising that there was so much commentary about this because brands rebrand all the time. 
um, mm. outside of beer yeah. and even, you know, like we just saw Feral do a bit of tweaking to their rebranding. Um, you know, over time we've seen breweries, you know, drop part of their name. And, and so I just didn't, for me personally, I didn't think it was that big a deal in the sense that, you know, CB Co had announced. So we had been seeing the new rebrand coming through at Brews News through the trademark applications and we've been saying oh that's really interesting um and obviously the announcement hadn't come come out yet um it, but you know the business itself has consulted you know back to your point about attraction and retention they've consulted their staff they've consulted their immediate stakeholders they have gone through a process they've decided to change collectively um they've just you know they mentioned that they've consulted with some fans and so you know, if this is something the business wanted to do as a business because it's more meaningful to them, I just, I, I just don't really understand what the, what the big deal is. I mean, if it's meaningful to them, then have at it. Yeah, I feel like there's there's just this like desire at the moment, and I feel like it's mainly online to have these big conservative, non-conservative arguments for the sake of having them. It's a company changed their name; they're allowed to do it. Uh, do I like the name? probably don't like either of them to be honest cb co doesn't really have any meaning for me it looks good on the can though. it does look good on the can um, yeah um good good brewers good people there yeah i don't see the big deal i mean i can understand i can understand i guess on one side people are trying to say they should have used this platform to really have a conversation about why they're changing it but on the other hand they're a business who is trying to do what they think is the right thing um, and some of their fans won't like that. And also I think it depends, you know, um, I mean, we're only working off a media release here, so um, what was published at Bruce yeah. was a media release, but they've made it clear that they consulted, um, you know, they've consulted First Nations leading Indigenous representatives as part, of their, as part of their change process. They've consulted their staff. They do mention that, you know, they, they acknowledge... Um, some of the criticism of the initial name and, and they sort of accepted that that was true. And so, you know, there is also this feeling that when a business, and I've come across this a lot, consultation, not everybody needs to be consulted about everything. So they are a business, mm. they've consulted immediate stakeholders and people who um, to provide them, you know, a steer as to what is the right thing to do. Um the entire universe is not entitled to be consulted <laughs> about a brand yeah, exactly. change. And um, I, I don't know, like I just I hope that, um, you know, they are clearly moving forward as a business um, and good on them. Yeah, I, um, I, feel, I feel like, you know, for, for them to rebrand is not the same as a, you know, say a small brewer like a my size rebranding. Like it's a hell of a hell of an exercise yep. in terms of like, skews for printed cans and everything like that like it's a big thing for a company of that size to do a significant um, financial investment right yeah definitely and i feel like you know they they can move on now and the comments section can move on too um but what i mean what would be really helpful in that sense if you were a small brewer is if you had the contact details for rallings labels stickers and packaging if you were going to rebrand so what you're saying is that if you were a small brewery and you were going to rebrand, you would call um, our friends at 
rallying label stickers and packaging. Yeah, look, absolutely. Because uh, after last week's perfect throw, um, I was thinking to myself, and the reason I was laughing at Matt was that I actually hadn't rec- uh, hadn't returned their call um, and had a couple of messages waiting. Um, and had a message from Brad saying, so you're on Radio Brews News now, would like that return call. <laughs> you're doing my ad read but you won't respond to my phone call? Is that what that was? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, yeah, if you do, beer can labels are regarded these days as the new mini billboard of the beverage industry. They say a lot as an advertisement you can hold in your hand. Uh, we always talk about that, actually, brand in hand. Yeah. Um, that's a big thing we got from Dave McGill down at Moobrew, now Deep South. Um, label is the genuine conversation um, starter. Agree, agree, agree. Um, so, yeah, if you do want new labels and packaging, uh, get in touch with the guys at uh, Rallings Labels, stickers and packaging, 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. Oh, brilliant. I didn't even have to do the ad read myself. Love it. <laughs> Speaking of um, can changes or brand in hand can design, so Gab's Can Design Awards are currently open. They're inviting submissions mm. from craft breweries around Australia to register. The winning designer will receive $1,000 in cash from Mintani and the brewery will receive a golden can trophy plus a set of printing plates from Aura and one tonne of malt from Mintani. An additional $5,000 worth of prizes from Opal Specialty Packaging is shared amongst the top 10. So um, it's a great opportunity to get, um, you know, to get some recognition recognition for the design side of um, our industry rather than, you know, what's in the can. Yeah, definitely. And so much effort goes into a can label design, you know, particularly just looking at the winner from last year, which is uh, Little Bang Face Inverter. Um, and I know Little Bang, uh, those guys are big fans of using like local artists and, you know, putting art on a can. Um, we put heaps of work into our can design, which is mainly the graphic designer telling me not to have an opinion. Um, but yeah, awesome, awesome prizes and awesome, um, awesome initiative by Gabs Festival. I really liked when they did this last year. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting one. You know, we've talked so much about, um, you know, the product itself, but also, you know, how you select in retail and, and the effect of cans and, and the changing sort of consumer preferences around design. But it has been such an amazing showcase and lots of breweries have done really great things to give artists, genuine artists, graphic um, other, even photography, graffiti artists, the opportunity to showcase their work. And so, you know, excellent. Gab's Can Design Awards are open, enter online. I'd love to see the Can Design Award change to be a panel-based instead of votes. I mean, I know it's Gab, so they're trying to do it as a as a vote. So they do have a whole... panel. Um, so it's a two-stage process. Um, I did the judging for New Zealand last year. So you submit a design, people's vote, choice votes, and then the judges um, review a shortlist. And actually, really interestingly, the panel of judges this year, um, because I was having a poke around the other day, are really fascinating and actually quite high calibre in the sense that they are from leading sort of design studios and so it really is taking that focus on the design not necessarily sort of someone who's come from beer so it's going to be yeah, re- cool. it's going to be really interesting so they can only select obviously from the short list of votes 
Um, but then there's that sort of expertise on design. So it'll be really interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, definitely uh, definitely get your submissions in there. I know I got a reminder last night. <laughs> you mean everybody in the brewing industry won't submit at the last second? Oh, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is just a quick one. Um, XBA recall underway for Eagle Bay Brewing. Eagle Bay Brewing in WA recalled at XBA in 375ml cans. The beer is dated before 19th of the 4th, 2023, are being recalled due to an issue with the unintended secondary f- fermentation. So, um, mm. you know, it's a little bit like that's a really, um, it's not great to see the recalls, but it's actually great to see the maturity of our businesses that we're recognising the issues and we're taking action and we're not sort of shying away from it just in case. Yeah, and that's definitely something the IBA had a big focus on a few years back, teaching people about that. Yeah, they've got a really great document a process and procedure around how to effectively do a product recall. Yeah, they'd be uncomfortable with an XBA re-fermenting in cans. That doesn't sound very good at all. No. Anyway, everyone's worse nightmare. <laughs> so um, the next article is Drinkwise launches FASD Awareness, Camp- Awareness Day campaign. Drinkwise has launched a campaign to raise awareness for fetal alcohol syndrome disorder in the lead up to International Fetal Alcohol Syndrome Disorder Day on the 9th of September, which will be the day um, that most listeners are listening to this podcast. Drinkwise research shows 49% of partners said they would likely give up alcohol to support their partner if they were planning a pregnancy, pregnant or breastfeeding. Mm, I've got a few mates who have done that recently, given up for nine months. Yeah. Well, this, or however many weeks. So the interesting couple of pieces um, about this article that jumped out to the journalists when they um, first saw it, or this, I should say it's a media release from Drinkwise, is that this is actually being put out by Drinkwise, which is, of course, the organisation that is actually funded by um, the alcohol industry, as opposed to FAIR, who are the... Um, I guess, anti-alcohol lobbyists. So what that suggests Mm. is that, um, you know, the alcohol industry itself is taking these kinds of, you know, awareness days and issues seriously and it's actually saying everyone we need to pay attention. So I think that's one interesting thing to note out of this. And then the second is that line that we read um, and that certainly jumped out at me when I first saw the media release was, Um, You know, we've had all of these great conversations around what is the use case for non-ALK and, you know, we've talked a lot about women while they're pregnant, we've talked about reduction, but um, this is a really interesting stat, 49% of partners, you know, giving up alcohol and yet still being able to feel like you're coming home and having a beer at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. It's, I guess it's the interesting thing about uh, ultra-low alcohol and non um, non-alcoholics is that I think it's becoming more accepting, especially Australian men, like we're, you know, we're all big yobos. Um, but it's becoming more accepting that, you know, sometimes the the point of a beer at the end of the day, it's not the alcohol at all. It's the, it's almost the ritual of it. And, the, you know, I, I've found as a dad, I'm now drinking mid-strength more than ever. Yeah, me too. Um, especially because the one, the local one I have down here is so damn good. Um but, yeah, it's interesting to hear research. Yeah, 49% of partners said they'd give it up altogether, um, you know, for that period of time, which is which is a real cool solidarity thing. I, I, um, I remember when I was pregnant, this is probably says a lot about me, but when I found out I was pregnant, the things I was most concerned about was my inability to um, 
consume alcohol and eat copious amounts of sushi. So, you know, really I had my prior priority state. Uh, you know, I was really focused on what really mattered. But I found because I, you know, and I've discussed it before, but, you know, my drinks are kind of coffee, water, and something with alcohol in it. I don't, you know, consume a lot of juice. I'm not consuming a lot of um, fizzy drinks of any kind. And so I was sort of like, well, what do I have now? And this was a, a few years ago now, and it was before there was sort of really a range of non-out options. Um, and so you were going out and you would have, you know, a, can, a, a Coca-Cola premix, and I'm like, that's not really what I'm after. And towards the end of my pregnancy you know you could definitely get a few more uh non-out options and the you know the heineken zero that became something that i could have but then you got a whole bunch of looks like why have you got a green bottle in your hand when you're clearly outrageously pregnant um and you had to be like it's a zero <laughs> look over here so um you know so i think the use case and i think you know it's great that the industry is highlighting this is a significant issue it is an issue um but the non-out options are providing new ways for um, pregnant people and their partners to, um, you know, to get through the nine, nine months and beyond. It's more about like, yeah, giving an alternative and, you know, something instead of just, you know, we know, I think I'm sort of shocked that people don't know that, that, that you know, drinking during pregnancy is is bad for a baby and I can't ever get pregnant, so I'm not going to comment anymore on any of that. Um, but it's sort of, you know, just saying things are bad and not giving, not having options or understanding that, you know, women go through a nine-month period where their bodies completely change and they lose control of a lot of decision-making and, you know, with regard to food. Like my wife was so obsessed with getting back to, you know, cured meats and, and cheeses. That was the first thing we did when we took our baby home, big cheese butter. Um yeah, I think having having that approach and, yeah, shout out to Drinkswise for um, getting on the front foot as opposed to, you know, being prohibitionists like FAIR and just trying to stomp on every idea. I, it's really interesting. Um, if when, um, so, I, so in, you know, my previous role in New Zealand, I worked with Kylie around um, and, and the Brewers Associations on both sides around the pregnancy warning labels and, and all of the data around why you had to have pregnancy warning labels and why they were becoming mandatory was in relation to, um, you know, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And as an industry, we kept making the argument that the significant investment that would be made to put a don't drink alcohol on a can, basically by the time someone had it in their hand, it was almost too late. Like you either knew it was alcohol or you didn't. There was no sort of, mm. but there was very limited investment. We were sort of arguing that, that that as industries that was fine, but where was the investment being made into the marketing and um, awareness raising of the issue? If if the issue was so significant and government needed to be expending resources to actually stop people prior to having the can or bottle in hand and going, oh, look, there's a little lady on and I'm not going to, with a cross, I'm not going to drink. So, um, you know, we made pretty cogent arguments about that and um, the labels changed and there was no additional investment by governments either side of the Tasman to raise yep. awareness. So yep. drinks-wise, which is the alcohol industry, we're actually stepping in to do something that we said needed to happen anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, look, we're flying through the news probably because Matt and I aren't disagreeing, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> 
I can be more controversial if you like. Uh, We're not controversial. We're just (laughs) opinionated. Well, I did get fired from uh, Step Brewers last night for uh, last week for being on this when they found out I got a couple of traitor messages <laughs> from the uh, from the co-hosts. It was very That's funny. That's funny. So, um, the next uh, piece of news is BOC invests in CO two facility. Gas and engineering company BOC is investing in a multi million dollar CO two processing facility in Victoria. As part of the carbon dioxide supply agreement on the Gippsland Basin joint venture with SO Australia and Woodside Energy, the new facility will produce 60,000 tonnes of beverage-grade liquid CO2 annually. BOC said this will make it the largest CO2 producer in the South Pacific with the aim of increasing reliability and supply for Australian industries. Yeah, it's been an issue on the horizon for some time and I know it's a huge issue in Europe um, with, along with any other liquid liquefied gas. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's good to see some money going into the right place for that. Well, it's it's interesting. So, um, you know, in the US you've seen breweries actually have to change their production facilities and methodologies as a result of these CO2 shortages. And so when we're looking at sort of, the, you know, building a, a new um, production facility, I mean, this is a significant investment of dollars and, of course, this is not mm. all for the brewing industry. But it it is um, it's one of those things when we think about what are all the incremental costs that add up to making beer, craft beer more expensive. CO2 is a major component of making beer and yeah. so to have that facility on, um, unfortunately for you, but on mainland Australia that is sort of, means it can be easily shipped and that it is really um, processing close to where a lot of our breweries are, you know, is one um, brewery should be looking with a bit of a sigh of relief that 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 is occurring because it is something that you can kind of tick off your box might not become as significant an issue here as it did in the US. So I think this is really great. Yeah, and I think think we're all sort of watching that situation in, in the US and Europe like nervously because, you know, we've seen how connected the global economy is through, you know, the war in Ukraine and, and grain and can prices and CO2 is just like another another kick in the teeth at the moment. But um, it, it's good. I've noticed BOC have been much more aggressive in the brewing industry, yeah. even down in Tassie actually, um, on installing, um, you know, CO2 tanks on site rather than, rather than receiving bottles. Um, you know, they're quite quite forward in wanting to do that so i can see that part of a sort of a bigger a bigger business model if they're going to have this production available at some point too that's i mean that's good to hear and that's good intel and it's definitely i think just visibly they seem to be much more active in the beer space now which is great good for us yeah yeah definitely um, so we're just going to move to another little segment that we like to call Brewery of the Week. And Brewery of the Week is brought to us by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from 1 litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek and talk all things yeast. Very nice, very nice. We we use a bit of Bluestone actually. Well, that's good. We had a, a 
One of my favourite sort of full circle moments was somebody messaged us saying, hey, I'm a home brewer. I heard the ad. I called them. I got my yeast. And that was just this lovely little full circle. Um, but Blue Side yeah. Yeast is supporting Brewery of the Week. And, Clint, I think you've got a brewery that you want to give a shout-out to. Yeah, we've um, we've on our podcast given these guys a shout-out uh, many a time because we've we've sort of since since meeting them early on, um, we became a little bit obsessed with what they're doing, um, and that brewery is uh, Sobremesa, which is down in uh, Victoria. Um, so Sobremesa, um, they call themselves a fermentary and blendery. Um, so they're really focused on farmhouse style beers. Um, and, and Casey and Hannah, uh, who, are, who are a couple who, who run the company together. Um, so Casey's actually a brewer at Bonehead. I think, um, and uh, Hannah does a lot of the uh, marketing and graphic design, and you know they're basically putting out these really gorgeous beers in seven hundred ml bottles. Lots of um, you know long process stays on, um, and they're just making beers for sharing and and drinking at you know picnics or in the park or, um, but at the same time, just really complex stuff. Um, they do all of it with next to no resources. Um, and anyone who's who's tried what what they're putting out um, will understand that you know they're really, I guess, sort of the next crop for for Australian beer at that end of the spectrum. So smaller end, um, think you know, I guess Wildflower being the top of that game, um, but Sobremesa are sort of the new new young players in a way, and the people who know about them religiously buy their beers. Um, but I was really excited um, to see see Sobremesa share that um, Attica, Attica Melbourne, um, which is, you know, one of the world's top 50 best restaurants um, with, uh, I'm trying to think the chef's name, Ben, Ben Shuri. I don't know how to say it. Um, I think, I think he might be a New Zealander. Um, but yeah, Attica, um, Attica down in uh, St Kilda. Um, yeah, one of the top 50 restaurants in the world um, are now stocking it on their menu. So Fabulous. they've got some Sobremesa. Yeah, some Swabrinis to say on on their wine list, which is just awesome, awesome to see. It's so great for, you know, Victoria, um, you know, to see local supporting local, but it's also great to see, you know, Matt talks this about this a lot, but those farmhouse-style ales are actually um, pair really well with food, which is why your more traditional styles pair well with food. Yep. So, you know, one of the things he's constantly looking at is sort of how can we elevate beer and one of the ways in using those traditional styles is to get them into fine dining and actually have the sommelier be as familiar with the beer that they're pouring because you can often ask them about a 50, 60-page wine list and they can tell you about everyone in detail and you ask about the six beers and they can't tell you a single thing that differentiates them so if you're getting um the products into a restaurant the caliber of attica they are going to make sure they're skilled at explaining that to their customers um and that is only a good thing for beer right having more educated at that level who have money to spend on beer yeah absolutely and i mean these beers um you know particularly i mean there's hundreds of breweries in australia that you could put on a great um restaurant wine list in the beer section instead of what we you know sort of get now um but there's so many there's so many similarities between i guess the natural wine world Mm. that's really you know infiltrating restaurants at the moment where if you put a uh, dollar bill or a sobremesa or a wildflower bottle into the same sommelier's hands they're going to have an amazing experience and then want to share that um so yeah it's 
it was really cool to see that, especially for such a small team like Casey and um, Casey and Hannah are just such awesome people, and I just want to see them succeed. And yeah, if you see their beers, they're in you know seven hundred ml bottles, um, still still at quite a good price for how much process goes in. But they do from time to time do a little can release, um, which gets snapped up very quick. So. Well, that's a great Bluestone News brewery of the week. So appreciate you bringing that one. Clint. Definitely. Um, so just a couple more. Uh, bits of news to go. Uh, this was one um, that Bruce News um, put out as a media release. Um, the IBD are currently recruiting global examiners and markers. So the Institute of Brewing and Distilling put a call out for experienced, a global call out for experienced um, brewers um, must hold at least a pass in the IBD diploma or IBD master qualifications. Uh, and so Bruce News just put that out as a um, it's a paid marking position. So just an opportunity for um, folks who have done the work and progressed up sort of that educational train to a give back, but b um, you know and some additional funds on the side and stretch their brains um, and support, you know, those people coming beneath them in terms of gaining skills. So good opportunity there, folks. Um, you can. Uh, find the details on Brews News and apply the, um, apply through to the IBD there. And we've got the conference coming up in March in South Australia. I know Steve would be promoting that if he was on the pod this week. Um, and the next bit of news um, also out of Europe is the latest Bath Harst crop report indicates Europe is expected to have a short hop crop due to weather conditions impacting the region while an average crop is expected in the US. The August crop report states that the official crop estimate for Germany is 18% lower than average and down 20.4% in comparison to the last year. Other European countries have seen similar conditions, according to the report, with the Czech Republic estimated to record 4.7 tonnes in contrast to last year's record crop of 8.3. So, you know, just one more... um, supply chain challenge um, in terms of, you know, raw ingredients, what does limited supply mean in terms of um, cost? And certainly here, um, just at the bottom of this article, they note that spot market pricing will vary in light of a short crop with forward pricing expected to increase in response to growers facing cost pressures rather greater than general inflation so as anticipated yeah. reduced supply increasing pressures at the front end of the supply chain means that it is likely to flow through to increasing costs uh yeah yep. so and this is and this is one of those things like you know as australian brewers um using imported german and czech european hops um you know at what point in your what point in your business model because it is business model um do you have do you have backups for that supply chain and and is bringing european hops in to australia um going to be part of your future business model because yeah i mean i can't can't talk our best selling selling beer is a mosaic beer but you know that is what it is um but also you know at times we've got to really look at what we're using and and how we how we utilize what we have in Australia versus what we can get elsewhere. And just, you can't have all your eggs in one basket, unfortunately. Yeah, it's really interesting. I remember um, having a conversation about product design um, with uh, an old hat brewer 
um, in New Zealand and we were talking about, you know, at one stage it was really great. Um, so Liberty in NZ has got the Citra and that's um, oh, so, so great. great. Um, and Joe has been brewing it for a decade. It's still winning awards a decade later. But that means you have to have Citra available 100% yeah. of the time. And so if you haven't figured out your hop, uh, your forward contracting, if you haven't locked in prices, if prices increase and so on and so forth. So, you know, uh, one of these senior brewers was sort of talking about the reason they always have a skill, a, a mix of three hops or more um, and don't explain what the hops are um, rather than a blend of U US or whatever is yeah. to enable you to change the recipe if you can't get the product that you need. Now, that's great, but when we know that individual hops um, uh, sell products so you know there was the discussion about you know a mosaic people will like that style and they'll seek it out and so they'll want to buy so there is this sort of tension between really good business planning making products and selling to what consumers want to see and being transparent about what's in it and then trying to hedging your bets and having all of the things you you've got and certainly um and i think you know hpa who are owned by bathhouse have put out um, some good detail and will continue to do so about the need to focus on sustainability and the climate crisis on crop production of hops the yeah. world over um, because it's such an incentive for, for us as the brewing industry um, or, or brewers even more than me should be really you know focused on what can we do to keep that supply going. It's very easy to forget that it's an agricultural <laughs> product and that you know supply shocks are going to happen but at the rate we're growing, you know, small independent brewers and people, you know, and the rate some of these uh, Nipah brewers or, or chonk donkeys, as we'd normally call them, um, like to use hops, is just such an impact. And, and when we have a proper down year in Australia or a proper American short crop, uh, it's going to become very uncomfortable. So I think you have to, yeah, absolutely, you've got to work that into your forward planning. And I think it's one of those things that as a brewer, the romanticism of, of having that fixed recipe is is just not practical at certain volumes. And the romanticism I mean, of, I mean, I think you, last year you were like, we're only going to build these super hot, we're going to start a business and we're going to have these hot forward beers and it's going to be great and that's all we're going to do and they're all going to be X percent and you get them you're like, the cost of hops into every one of those beers versus what we can sell them yeah. for because we love to drink them, sure, but then when you put your business hat on, you're like, that is insane. <laughs> So it really is. There's a difference between sort of the romantic side of it, the desire side of it, and the sort of, you know, and not to kind of rain on, on the parade, but we just talked about, well, what are we going to do about employment, you know, costs? Our gas might be going up. Uh, we've seen already reports around potential um, grain crop increased prices, and now, you know, you add on some potential increases in relation to some hops, and it's starting to look pretty crunchy in terms of their any profit margin yeah absolutely and i mean it's very hard if you're established already or if you're producing if you're producing something very specific like say you're an australian brewery that just produces german style beers it's very hard to answer this question but if you if you're looking at your brewery and i we often say this um on the podcast when you know we're talking to new brewers or talking to other brewers like what is what is your what is your business not business what is your brewing angle like what are you bringing to the table like someone like sobra mesa i can see what they're bringing to the table they know what they want to be they know which way they're going um 
But if you're coming in like I find we found it really hard, like what's our brewing identity? We started off brewing very American-style beers. But at what point do you say, you know, small brewery down in Hobart producing American-style beers in a tourist-driven state? Like what? at what point in time do does that narrative switch to be a Tasmanian brewery brewing Tasmanian beers so people can have those same experiences we had overseas that inspired us at home? Um, and at what point does, you know, importing every ingredient you use to produce a beautiful German lager become ridiculous in Australia? That said, I'm still going to buy it. A heap of it. <laughs> That's why I loved the just Aussie wheat ale that came out. Um, you know, that was the trial with, I think, a, a several CUB brands, so Pirate Life, Matilda Bay. But that was really an innovative new way to look at using Australian products to make an, a really Australian-style beer. And I just think, you know, mm. You know, people don't like all the times what the big brewery is doing, but they are looking. That is a really important part of looking at the supply chain, right? You know, building something that's really Australian. Yeah, I think we have to look at ourselves, and not to, not so much to the extreme. And you know, we can't all be perfect, but if you listen to the way Topher at Wildflower talks about creating a uniquely, and he's just talking about it like a New South Wales beer, a uniquely a unique beer to his area like voyager craft malt local fruit only that kind of thing that's on that's on one end of the extreme but if if we're looking at you know new product or new SKUs, and we've been doing this and talking to you know hba etc at, w- at what point do you say yeah we've got to get we've got to get the aussie back into our our product yeah really. it's really interesting like we've got beautiful hops down here we've got great malting in australia I, yeah. I love it. That's it's, it's the provenance one. play. Um, I think it's good. So next week, um, the guest host alongside me is going to be Josh Donahoe from um, the Creative Tours on the Sunshine Coast. Um, and some of you may know him, but he's just come back from essentially a whirlwind sales trip in the US, where they're actually sort of you know selling brand Australia. Come to Australia to experience. Uh, as part of a larger contingent of of brands doing tourism, but come and his position is come and experience our food and beverage and Mm. in amongst the Sunshine Coast. And so that is a very specific play. And so I'm really interested to dig into that with him next week and what what the observations were from overseas about what is Australian or what is, you know, uh, Sunshine Coast as compared to Australian. So speaking, um, I've um, thrown in another segment here that I, um, in Matt's absence, have um, sort of dumped in and then also tried to come up with a really pithy name and I haven't come up with one, so I'm going to call it (laughs) Money, Money, Money. Um, And this is just super pithy. Um, This is just a, I thought I'd rattle off the current investment raises underway in sort of beer and beer adjacent. So 31 August, Behemoth Brewing Company NZ announced registrations for upcoming capital raise of $3 million through the Snowball Effect platform in the NZ. This comes off the back of a deal with Ballast Point to brew and sell beers in the US. So I was thinking that, you know, Behemoth are an example of a brand that um, build, sell very strong US branded in NZ. They have leveraged that back into um, a deal for distribution through Ballast Point. Um, on the, so is, is Snowball a capital, yeah, like a, one like of those a raising platforms? It's a, it's, a, it's a New Zealand virtual. Um, I mean, yeah. 
our, our business model on Steppies is just to respond to that research. So why the, why do behemoths need people's hard-earned for a, for a crowdfund when they're signing deals with Ballast Point for distribution in the US? Like that sounds well, ridiculous. Just wait till we get through them all. So then we've got, so that's okay. 31 August, then we've got 1 September, Wilson's Brewing out of WA launched the Expressions of Interest for crowdfunding on virtual. Um, on the 6th of September, Nowhere Man Brewing out of the WA invited existing customers to become shareholders through a direct expression of interest, so not through a virtual platform, and shareholders as distinct from whatever happens on virtual. Yeah. Um, Greedy Bear Meadery, and we um, I included this because they've done some collabs with co-conspirators and others, are raising $25,000 for a commercial batch of mead that will demonstrate the range of this craft genre and Sober and Good Beer Co. recently closed out a raise of $50,000, um, both of the last two on Possible, uh, for the traditional lager correlation on non-out beer to support the Coral Sea Foundation and First Nations women to participate in marine science and biology training. So it definitely sounds like Possible, which was the platform that kicked off and the first rounds for uh, Two Mates Black Ops, a number of um, breweries seems yep. to be at that lower end of kind of capital raise, to, to your point, sort of a, yeah. and even more yeah. it seems almost more obviously a bit of a GoFundMe than what Virtual pretends to be, although yeah. they both um, state that they are crowdfunding platforms under the same regulatory framework. Mm. Is Did Sober do a raising already? Did they do quite a large raising? Yeah, so this is very specifically in relation to this particular um, product, which was sort of essentially raising money for a um, for this particular output. So rather than raising money for Sober, it was raising money for um, this foundation. Um, so it's a little bit different. On the other hand, they're utilising the platforms that are being utilised in the industry to raise money for you know, to keep businesses alive, as it were. So it's getting real it's messy. It's getting real messy, right? And so to your point around Behemoth, I think this one, um, it'll be interesting to see whether it is, and um, Bruce News haven't done the reporting on it because it's just at the expressions of interest phase, so none of the financial documents have come out for either Behemoth or Wilson's um, and haven't seen anything on Nowhere Man. And so when they do, they'll be, you know, reporting on those. But, um, you know, Nowhere Man's is a shareholding. They're talking about a shareholding. And I know that mm. notwithstanding um, the views that I have made previously, Birchall talks about a shareholding and an investment. It's just... A club, maybe? Well, there's just limited ways that you can um, dispose of. But really interestingly, in the um, Radio Bruce News Facebook group, if you're not a member... Um, search for it and have a look really good chat going on there about all of the capital raising that's going on or crowdfunding and what it means mm. so yeah full disclosure we did a direct of sorts expression of interest spotty dog is we as yeah. spotty dog yeah yeah so we did two of them over the last three years and so you, to build this our is brewery. one where you go out to people you know or people that are signed up or people that are just people who approached us over the years. Yeah. Um, so initially when we first started a long time ago, there was a whole heap of people who said, if you build something one day, we'd love to be part of it. And we just kept their, kept their information um, and, and signed on, you know, a few early on. And then w when we were, you know, in the throes of building the giant brewery instead of the tiny one we planned, um, we said, you know, we're thinking about raising some more. And everyone said, yep, 
we know people who have been asking about it and we did it privately. Yeah, there so was it's no a, social media So it's about a private it. equity, which is sort of seems to be yeah. quite, which has all of its own um, challenges associated with it. Um, yeah, it's hard, it's hard work. It's hard work, right? Um, you know, you talk to Brick. And it's very regulated. Brick Lane is um, a great example of a large private, privately funded, yeah. um, you know, you've got to keep all of your private shareholders happy this is one you, you know in a lot of these cases you're going out to a whole host of people that while they might want to support your brand are not um so part of private equity is that you're often looking for people that have got unique skills and attributes that they can bring to your business or that you can draw 100%. on um you know for their networks yep. in other ways uh, that is sort of almost the venture capital private equity model which is quite different from hey anyone that wants to give me money i'll take your money and now I have to report out to you almost in sort of a, um, you know, that retail yeah, shareholder yeah. model. Yeah, ours was very much that. Like we, our first 12, every single one of those was a strategic partner in yeah. a way um, and they all brought something. We have people who are HR yeah. specialists, IT yeah. specialists, stainless steel fabrication, which is somewhat important, electrical. Like we made sure everyone involved um, could bring something and felt like if they wanted to bring something they could and if they just wanted to be a quiet shareholder that was fine too and we've built this little like family community that promotes us and brings to the table and you know we all get together and it's do you awesome. think that they feel very much a part of what you've built you know so that's that and yeah yeah so that's what they yeah, definitely definitely and it's not a club and yeah that, this is the hard thing about the whole equity crowdfund is at some point is a brewery just going to announce that they're doing a club and there's a membership fee and you get very similar stuff because unless I can sell shares in these equity crowdfund projects, like I think New Zealand they can, unless I can sell easily, find liquidity and sell my ownership, I don't believe it's an investment. And the yet. market sets the rate for what you sell those shares at as opposed to the owners of the business, right, which 100%. is part of the challenge with what um, – it'll be interesting but there's – a proposed regulatory changes to the crowdfunding uh, and we know Birchall are looking at that, that um, but the question then becomes who sets the market rate. So that will be really fascinating mm. to follow through. Um, and so, you know, we, we've talked banged on about this sort of ad nauseum it feels like for months now, but the reason I've sort of added in this, this just running list um, is because we'll be keeping an eye on it. But if you go back to the Little Bang po- um, Bureau's of Conversation that Matt just did, uh, with the folks there, there's a really great discussion about valuations and it's just to keep on everybody's radar that the reason this keeps coming up is because it just keeps coming up. Like it really is salient part of what's going on when you look at the whole industry landscape. So um, we are going to cruise through the last of it. So we've got a mailbag this week, which is sponsored by Luck Whiskey to celebrate the launch that has already occurred of the Wolf Release 5 and the fifth year of the shared vision between the House of Luck and Victoria's Wolf of the Willows Brewery. This week's mailbag, Letter of the Week, will receive a Wolf 5 Boilermaker Pack. Um, Wolf 5 was launched on the 8th of August and as Matt mentioned below, has definitely already sold out but we know um, readers and listeners of Brews News are enjoying their Boilermaker packs out there and their new whiskey. So just a quick read of an email we received from Rob Hunt. 
Um, hi folks, great show, really interesting hearing thoughts from those in the know. Buying good and independent beer has been my aim for a while now. So it's great to hear the recent show about tips on how to do that and not that a brewery sale is always the devil it's been made out to be either. Great to hear from South Aussie local Steve on the last few shows. Talk about gateway beers, he's a gateway guest. I'm guessing Rob, Rob, <laughs> you're new to the um, to the Bruce News um, family, welcome. And then we'll just skip the last line because it seems a bit gratuitous and embarrassing. So we'll just, we'll. All presenters had a delightful ability to deliver knowledge and opinions without being preachy. I must not have been on <laughs> I this was one. just going to say, oh, God, preachy. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. Um, well, thanks, Rob. That's beautiful. But this is why we shouldn't share our show notes with our other hosts. <laughs> um, so anything you want to add in as we roll out? Clint, it's been really great having you with me for the last well with us and slash me for the last couple of weeks no it's been lovely to be invited on again and um yeah thanks thanks to yourself and matt for having me and thanks to all the people who uh messaged saying what are you doing uh, it was a bit of a different <laughs> well it was a bit of a different uh podcast angle than normal um don't worry we'll be back in our naughty behavior on the other podcast so. <laughs> all right well that wraps up another week of news your hosts have been me sabrina Coons, and clip donahoe uh, from Tasmania, the show is produced by Vivian Topalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Bintani, Rowling's label stickers and packaging, Bluestone Yeast and Light Whiskey for their support in making this episode possible. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at brewsnews.com.au or leave a review on your favourite podcasting service. And we're out. Boom. <laughs> <laughs>